Hey, Cracked fans, as winter slowly turns into spring and all of us look forward to getting back on the outdoor tennis courts, we here at Cracked Rackets want to ensure that you listeners have everything you need to make sure your return to outdoor tennis is a successful one. That's where our friends at Gamma Sports come in. Now, if you need new strings, new grips, new court equipment, ball hoppers, machine tools, and accessories, whatever it may be, our friends at Gamma have it all for you. They've also, of course, got dampeners, over grips, replacement grips. They've got it all. And if you go to their website, gammasports.com slash tennis right now, you use our promo code CRACK20, you'll get 20% off your order. Now, I know Gamma has a new string pattern in the queue called the React Pro which all of you Gamma String users will enjoy. And even if you're not using Gamma Strings, maybe now's the time to start. But they've also got polyesters, everything you could be looking for from a tennis equipment standpoint, all in one location. Just go to gammasports.com slash tennis right now. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Again, gammasports.com slash tennis. Use that promo code CRACK20 to get 20% off your order. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, April 5th. Going to be another two Mini Break Monday for all of you listeners as it continues to be a busy time in the tennis world. On part one, I want to recap championship weekend in Miami. Hoobie Hercats and Ashley Barty stealing the show with their performance. Hercats, the first Polish Masters 1000 winner in ATP Tour history. Ashley Barty winning back-to-back titles. She joins an elite group of exclusive players. It's just Steffi Graf, Monica Seles, Sanchez Vicaro, Venus and Serena, and now Ashley Barty, who have won back-to-back Miami titles in WTA Tour history. I want to talk about how all of that happened. I believe the last time we spoke, we were entering the quarterfinal round for the men, semifinal round for the women. So we'll recap everything that happened since then, talk about our most notable performers, the takeaways we have from the event. Of course, on part two of the podcast, I'll preview everything that's going on this week across the tennis world. It's crazy to think, but we now begin the clay court season here as we have events in Charleston, a bunch of ATP events to talk about. I'll break down all the draws, the players I'll be watching most closely, all of those things coming up on part two of the podcast. Of course, there's also so much going on in the Challenger and College Tennis Worlds. We'll save both of those topics for great shot podcasts later in the week, whether it's David Gertler. May spice things up on that podcast. Of course, the College Tennis Crew, Matt Stokowiak, Chris Hellior is going to join me either Monday or Tuesday night for a Tuesday or Wednesday podcast, so be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for a bunch of Cracked Interviews podcasts this week. Had the chance to speak with many of the team members of the Illinois men's tennis team, so if you are a college tennis fan, this week's Cracked Interviews podcasts are certainly going to be for you. Of course, the reason we're able to do everything day in, day out here on the Mini Break Show, recap all of the action happening on the Pro Tour, is because of the support we get from our friends over at Midwest Sports. Now, you guys know the deal. 
It wits outdoor tennis season. I have a very fun hit that I will talk about more on tomorrow's podcast scheduled for Monday. Don't want to give away who I'm hitting with quite yet, but it's someone a lot of you listeners will be familiar with, and it's our first hit together. So that's always a fun time. Uh, but of course, uh, you guys know it's outdoor season. Weather's starting to get nice outside. We're all trying to play more tennis. You can update your equipment with the best gear at the best prices by turning to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. Of course, shout out as always to your listener, uh, to you listeners for your continued support. Shout out to our Cracked Rackets Patreon family as well. With that in mind, let's talk about a fantastic weekend of action in Miami. And, you know, I tried to start ladies first because I'm a man who still believes in chivalry, but I think we have to start on the men's side. Hubi Hercats becoming the first Polish winner again in ATP Masters event history. What a phenomenal week for him across the board as you look at what he was able to do, his run to this title for Hercats. Again, he knocks off just so many great players from start to finish, gets a win over an informed Denis Shapovalov, uh, excuse me, Denis Kudla, and then gets wins over <clears throat> number six seed Shapovalov in straight sets, over number 12 seed Milos Raonic, 7-6 in the third, over number two seed Stefano Tsitsipas, 6-4 in the third, his first career victory over a top five opponent. He then knocks off Andre Rublev, 3-4 and four in in the semifinals, finally knocks off Yannick Sinner, 7-6-6-4, to take home the title. Hercats, now 10-0 in his 10 matches played in the state of Florida this season, as some of you may have forgotten. He was your Delray Beach champion back in January. He's now 21-13 in his last 52 weeks, 14-5 to start the 2021 season. And if you're a listener of this podcast, you guys know I've been on the Hubie Hercats bandwagon for quite a bit of time. And let's be clear, it's Hubert Hercats, but he pronounces it Hubie. If that's this, you know, again, basic lessons here about the 24-year-old Polish player who, with this victory, is now up to a new career high in the rankings. He will, starting next week, be up to number 16 and... You know, this is not his first ATP title. For Hercats, you look for him during the course of his career. He was able uh, to capture titles. You know, as I mentioned, he captures the earlier one in Delray Beach. You look for him uh, prior to Delray Beach coming into the season. Hercats won an ATP title uh, in Winston-Salem back in 2019. Has challenger titles on both hard courts and clay courts. And was a guy who had a top 40 ranking and had been a top 50 guy for about a year and had flashed brilliance before, a statistic I had mentioned all week long. He hadn't had a prohibitive amount of success against top 20 players, but you know, he was 9 and 19 coming into the week again or 8 and 19 coming into the week against top 20 players, but he had gone three sets in eight 
out of his last 10 matches against, uh, or I should say now, uh, I guess it was set, uh, eight of his last nine because he didn't against Shapovalov coming into the event against those top 20 guys. So he had played them really close, and he was a guy who seemed to always play his best tennis uh, against uh, against the best opponents, but then sometimes would play to the level of his opponent. You look at the losses he's taken here this season, loss uh, to uh, Mikhail Yimmer, five sets, a loss to Stefano Trevaglia, three sets, a loss to Davidovich Fokina, straight sets. You look in the, over the course of the last 52 weeks, a three-set loss to Radu Elbada, six-and-six loss to Sinego, a five-set, 11-9 in the fifth set loss to Tennis Sandgren, one-and-four loss to Max Martyrer. You know, but then over that same course of time, he has wins over all the guys I mentioned here in Miami. A win over Sebastian Corda, which is certainly appreciated in value. Another win over Rublev he got back in Rome. Wins over Dan Evans. Like, you know, you look earlier in his career back in 2020, the big breakthrough for him. He was great at the ATP Cup. He beat Dominic Team. He beat Schwartzman. He beat Chorich. You look back in 2019, his first real breakthrough, you have to go all the way back. I believe it was, when did he beat Nishikori? It was Indian Wells. Uh, it was also in Dubai. I think he beat him Dubai. Yeah, round of 16, made the quarterfinals before losing in three to Tsitsipas 2019. Then makes quarterfinals Indian Wells, uh, beating Nishikori, Shapovalov, and Pui before losing to Federer. So we had seen him make a run, uh, a deep run, I should say, quarterfinals or later, uh, at a Masters event and on a hardcourt Masters event before. But, you know, the names, Hubi Hercats versus Yannick Sinner. If you're listening to this podcast, you're familiar with those names. But it's worth mentioning that final in Miami is the first ATP Masters final between two players outside of the top 30 since Tim Henman played Andre Pavel in the 2003 Paris Masters. This is the first tournament without the big three since 2003. Those two co- coinciding things are not coincidental. Things were always going to get funky. And we'll get back to the losses we saw from Medvedev, from Tsitsipas, from Rublev that prevented them from getting uh, a Masters title, from getting to the final. But first, again, the story is Hubi Hercats, who you look throughout the course of this event in each of his victories for uh, Hercats, first serve win, per, uh, you know, first serve win percentage. He's at against Kudla, eighty-three percent against the next Ranich and Shapovalov, eighty-one percent, sixty-five percent against Tsitsipas, but he saves ten of the. 13 break points he faces, 75% against Rublev. The key number for Hercats, he only won 69% of his first serves, uh, but he made 71% of his first serves in the match. And when you can limit the amount of points you're playing on your second serve, it doesn't matter uh, that Yannick Sinner's taking these incredible cuts at the ball. And for Hercats, it's that he can do a little bit of everything. He's that modern physical profile, right? And I, I apologize that it took me so long to set the scene. I just want Wanted to remind you all what Hubie Hercats has done throughout the course of his career, but you know, six foot five, six foot six, super fluid athlete, and you really thought over the course against whether Rayonich, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Sin, or someone would expose the fact that because he moves so well, he's a guy who doesn't mind playing six feet behind the uh, baseline, who slides and chips that forehand back to set up the on the run backhand and do some funky stuff, but. 
you know, his movement in here in Miami was just sensational. The power of Rublev, the power of Sinner from the ground, obviously the power of Ranich and Tsitsipas, their serves, it didn't phase him. He was able to track down those plus one balls, get a passing shot at their feet, set up a second passing shot, and then because he does move so well, he's able to dip that next ball at their feet, and he's a guy with really, really good hands. And you want to know why he was so successful on his first serve? Because he's able to play attacking tennis when the option opens up for him to play plus one tennis, move forward, hit the approach shot. He'll take it. He also did a fantastic job against both Rublev and Sinner, taking his opportunities to lull them into cross-court rallies and then taking the initiative, going down the line, moving forward behind those balls. Against Rublev in particular, his willingness to, when Rublev hit that heavy topspin, you know, I don't need to tell you about the Rublev forehand. It might be the best in men's tennis right now. What Hercats is able to do, particularly on these slow, high-bouncing courts in Miami, absorb the spin, absorb the pace because he is six foot six. take the ball early, and just guide it down the line. And he was not afraid of attacking the Rublev forehand. He was not afraid of attacking. He did it to center as well, of attacking those wings and playing them forehand to forehand because of his size, because he was then able— when he was able to go cross-court, that helped him open up their backhand wings, which he was so disciplined about attacking in 85% of the rallies. The only time he would go after the forehand is to either open up the ba- uh, the forehand down the line to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, you know, then come in behind and hit a volley to the open court, or, you know, when he wanted to keep them honest and he would just take a backhand early down the line when he would lull them into backhand cross-court rallies and say, oh, you think this rally's over? No, 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 you left this one short. I'm going up the line. I'm sneaking in behind it, and I'm closing the point out at the net. And he's just able to do a little bit of everything. And these slow, high-bouncing hard courts are perfect for a guy who's six foot six and fluid because you would have thought Zverev Medvedev would have thrived on these courts because, again, to give someone that tall who moves that well an extra split second and they're also the only guys who have the sort of weapon in the serve to hit through a court like this you would think that would be a kiss of death and those two would have thrived but you know who be her cats was the guy who thrived he just kept coming up with answers he put so many returns in the court just the backhand is exceptional right I mean it People say Andy Murray ask, yeah, the way he uses his body extends through it. It really is that good, and he's able to go cross-court. He's able to go down the line. He's able to slice it comfortably. He's able to sneak in behind it. Um, he just he puts returns in the court, and the thing that was so impressive, performance after performance, you look in his quarterfinal win against Stefano Tsitsipas. It was a three-set victory for him, 2-6-6-3-6-4. He loses that first set, 6-2, had a bunch of break points, had a bunch of chances. Tsitsipas kept drop-shotting him, and Hercats kept just missing the passing shot off of the drop shot. Well, then... He's down an early break, a set and two love uh, in in the second set. Deuce point after he had blown a couple of game points. Tsitsipas hits a drop shot. Hercats is able to track it down, hit this little flick backhand slice cross-court pass. I swear to God that turned his tournament. And, you know, against Andre Rublev, he gets the early break in the first set. Um, you know, is able to, you know, goes up 5-1, gets broken. Rublev holds, but then... Goes down love 30 in his 5-3 service game. This is where being six foot six makes the difference, folks. Love 30. Big serve out wide. Doesn't, you know, unreturnable serve. Rublev can't do anything. Next point. 
Big serve down the tee, incredible backhand down the line. Nothing Rublev can do about it. That may have, I may be out of order here, by the way. Next one, 30 all, second serve. It's a bunny. Rublev lets it sit. Uh, he just misses it. Like that, that was a blink. Rublev then wins the deuce, uh, the 40 30 point deuce. Big serve out wide, nothing he can do about it. Uh, Hercats wins the point. Big serve down the tee. Huge cojones backhand down the line. Hercats wins the game. He holds. He uh, ends up taking the set 6-3. He immediately breaks Rublev to start that second set, go up to love, and just put the pressure on an Andre Rublev, who look clearly wasn't playing his best tennis in the semifinals, but... You know, one of the problems for Hubie in the past is because he's a guy who can do a little bit of everything, and I've talked about this before, uh, he doesn't exactly know what plan A is on the court, what plan B is. He's trying all of these different things, but plan A in all of his matches, and it's, you know, it's similar styles, right? It's big serve, big first strike for Sinner, for Rublev, for Reynish, for Tsitsipas. Hercat said, no, 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 no. With my wingspan, with my movement, I'm making these matches physical, and then I'm imposing my will on you. If I lull you to sleep, you're in trouble because I'm going to sneak down the line, I'm going to attack you, and I'm going to put the volley away. And it's just, again, Hubi Hercats was sensational all week long. Truly the best player. This wasn't like a fluke run where all of his opponents were tired and they all played bad matches. Did Pass play his best match? No. Did Rublev? No. Did Sinner have dead legs in the second set? Yes. Absolutely. But Hubi imposed his will on all of them. He took advantage of it. And again, Shapovalov, Rayanich, uh, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Sinner, and you're going to try and tell me he didn't earn it? Uh, I'm not saying you. That's, again, I, I apologize for attacking a straw man. I'm just saying it, to anyone, if anyone in your life says, oh, Hubi didn't earn this. This was a fluke run. There was no big three. Well, he beat everyone he was supposed to beat. He faced almost exclusively top 20 players. You absolutely cannot take this title away from Hubi Hercats. In terms of, I mentioned it, he's moving up to a new career high, number 16 in the rankings. He'll fly up the tennis abstract ELO ratings as well. Uh, I mentioned first Polish player, 10-0 in Florida. First player to win two ATP Tour titles this season. He also is the fourth player to win his first ATP Masters 1000 title at the Miami Open since 1990. Joining John Isner, Djokovic, uh, Novak Djokovic, and Andre Agassi. It's pretty good company to join those numbers coming from the ATP Media Info. Uh, this coming from at only Roger can fly. The youngest Masters winner currently active on tour. Nadal won his first Masters title at 18 and 10 months, so essentially 19 years old. That's crazy. Djokovic won his first at 19 and 10 months, essentially 20 years old. That's crazy. Federer, uh, excuse me, Zverev, 20 years old and one month. I don't like him either. But it's undeniable he's got the best track record. Federer, 20 years, 9 months. Murray, 21, 2 months. Hatchinov, 22 years, 5 months. Medvedev, 23, 6. Songa, 23, 6. Robredo, still playing, by the way, folks. 24, 20. And then Hubi Hercats, 24.1. So again, he is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9. The 10th youngest player actively to have a Masters title. You know, I, I mentioned that list of players. Uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray, Zverev, Medvedev, Songa, Robredo. The other players currently active with titles. Wawrinka, Chilich, Dimitrov, Delpo, uh, Team, Fonini, and Jack Sock. In case you forgot, folks, he's still, and John Isner, they both have uh, ATP Masters 1000 titles. And then Hubie Hercots, by the way, 4-1 and one against top 
five opponents. That's the best career win percentage on tour for anyone who's played at least five matches against top five opponents. It's, it's literally five, smallest sample size, but folks, we might be looking at the GOAT. Uh, no, but obviously... A little bit of fun. Hoobie Hercats, sensational. Steals the show in Miami. Quickly on Yannick Sinner because the Sin Man's sensational. And I'm going to share this thought repeatedly across multiple podcasts over the next few weeks. So I won't regale you with the extended take right now. And we're going to have Jeff Sackman on to talk about the statistical trends. Jeff Sackman, the mind behind Tennis Abstract. I talk about all the stats coming from them. He is the man who runs the show over there. We're going to have Gil Gross on to talk about the biggest storylines heading into the French Open. So I'm certainly going to mention this there as well. But I'll just throw it here. Yeah, he lost the final. It was disappointing. Yannick Sinner is a Tier 1 next-gen prospect, and none of us were doubting that at this point. But when I say Tier 1, for me now, Zverev, Medvedev are the, are the top of Tier 1. I know they're going to win Grand Slams. I know Yannick Sinner is going to win a Grand Slam. He's number 3 for me. He has surpassed Tsitsipas. He has surpassed Rublev and FAA. I think they're all still in the mix. I think they all win slams. But Sinner, I mean, you know, he makes the quarterfinal at Roland Garros. He now makes this final at the Miami Open. He, by ELO rating, has been a top 10 player uh, over the past 15 months. And just, you know, every ball he hits, it sounds like a cannon is going off. And it seems like physically his movement gets better and better. I mentioned this on a previous podcast. He hit a kick serve in his quarterfinal win against Sasha Bublik that had my jaw drop. That just made me think. I joke about this all the time. I say the best kick serve I've ever seen belongs to my doubles partner, partner in crime, Max Rothman. I called him and I said, dude, Jack Sock does too. But I was like, dude, this guy, all, not just Jack Sock, all of them do. But I was like, I, I know Yannick Sinner has a better kick serve than you. And I don't say that lightly. And even he was like, I and I joke about his ego. But he's like, dude, Yannick Sinner's kick serve is unreal. And I, I said this on Gil Gross's Monday Match Analysis show. But the most exciting thing in the world right now is when Yannick Sinner gets stretched in the outer third on the forehand. You watch him play Roberto Bautista Gut, who's on the run forehand and ability to go inside out with his forehand is the staple of his game to bait you into testing him to hit that shot. Sinner straight up was better than him at the on the run forehand. Anytime they were going cross court, there was a little smirk like, huh, you think you're going to beat me at this? And Sinner would just hit these unbelievable cross court forehand winners or beat him down the spot, down the line, or just his backhand. It looks like he's yanking the ball across his chest, but that ball explodes cross court and it's heavy topspin with enough drive and nothing sits short and I mean, yeah, you know, he's still 19, so I suppose the occasional second serve sits short, and, you know, his movement's going to continue to get better. He looks comfortable at the net, but his volleys are only going to get better. His returns are going to get better. Yes, sometimes he shanks the forehand, and it can get overwhelmed a bit with pace because the backswing is big, but it takes a lot of pace to overwhelm him. The guy is a stud, just an absolute stud. I just, I do, I, I can't believe I'm I think he's like again Medvedev Zverev Sinner those are my top threes in it in terms of my six top tier guys Tsitsipas FAA Rublev all exist in that category Korda Shapovalov Opelka a tier below I think you know Hubi Hercats has played himself into the Chorich Hachinov Demon Hour range where it's just like that guy's gonna be really good for a really long time 
but the Sin Man is freaking special. I'm going to swear, he's freaking special. He really is, and it's just such a pleasure to watch. I'm so jealous I wasn't on the bandwagon when I should have been after that Lexington Challenger in 2019 where he did look that good, but I was like, ah, oh, he's a little stiff, and like a lot of people can hit the ball hard, but if you can't be an athlete at the top level, you know, how can you hang? A... That's not true. If you have professional-level weapons, you're going to find your way in pro tennis with enough hard work. B, this guy is a pro-level athlete, and then some... I was anyone who's down on his performance following the final. I'm sorry, but I just don't have patience for you. You look for Sinner, who again over the course of the week beats Hachinov, Rusevori, Bublik, and Bautista Agud, and yeah, he was a little bit dead in that. Uh, in that final, and he only won like 50% of his service points on the match, and he faced 11 breakpoint chances, and he served for that first set up 6-5, played a really sloppy game, went down love 40 after a double fault, a couple of first ball errors, and just, you know, again, his light, it got broken early in the second set, and just kind of faded, I think it got broken right away in the second set, uh, to go down one love, again, credit to her cats, and just... You know, he kept fighting. I mean, it was only one break in the second set. He had his chances to narrow the gap, but, you know, it's a credit to Hercats. I'm just, I'm all in on the Sin Man. You look at what he accomplished this week. He reaches his first ATP Tour Masters 1000 final and only his fourth Masters appearance. The people who did it in fewer attempts, Jersey Janowitz, huh, Harold Levy, huh. Thomas Muster, nice. Stefan Edberg, nice. Andre Agassi, nice. Andre Chesnikov, not familiar with him. I apologize. Evgeny Kafilnikov, very familiar with him. And Michael Chang. Like, if that's the list of people who have done it uh, in fewer time than you, and you've done it in less tournaments than a Pete Sampras or an Andy Roddick, uh, Andy Roddick, excuse me, or an Andy Murray. I mean, Andy Roddick's impressive too. It's the name that popped up that I'm looking at on the list. Or Roger Federer, Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal. You are doing something right. You continue to look, again, uh, similar things he accomplished by defeating RBA. He becomes the youngest player to reach an ATP Masters 1000 final since Rafael Nadal at the 2005 Madrid. Nadal did it another time in Canada. He also did it in Rome, Monte Carlo, and Miami. The other guys who did it younger than Yannick Sinner, Andre Medvedev, nice company to keep, Richard Gasquet, if that's your worst-case scenario, which... That's I, I don't like to say that's his worst case, and that's a bad way of phrasing it. But if Yannick Sinner, because the, the other name's Michael Chang, if like the worst of this list is you know Richard Gasquet, that's a damn good career. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty nice company. You look at the people who have made a Masters 1000 finals before the age of 20: Nadal, Medvedev, Agassi, Djokovic, Chang, Sampras, Safin, Hewitt, Roddick, Gasquet, Sinner. That's a ridiculous list, and then. You know, from Enrico uh, Maria Riva for Yannick Sinner, 2018, he was 1,770 in the world, 2019 at this time, 319, 2020 at this time, 73, 2021, he is the number 21 player in the world with this result. The guy has been absolutely outstanding. He is the elite of the elite. Hercats stole the show. Sinner still got a curtain call. They needed to applaud him after his performance. Sensational stuff from the young Italian. In terms of rounding everything out, because again, I haven't spoken to you since the round of 16 was completed. Sebastian Corda, I threw him in the Chorch Hatchinov. 
tier for a reason. He's, what, like 29-8 and eight now since the restart in August. A quarterfinal at a Masters event. First ATP final. First challenger titles. Fourth round at the French Open. He's done it on clay. He's done it on carpet. He's done it on hard courts. He's done it indoors. He's done it outdoors. He's a modern physical profile. I would say Hercats is more fluid like Chilich, Korda. More fluid than Burdich, but more in the Burdich model. But, oh, my God, does the ball just explode off of his racket. The serve is so impressive. I talked about him at length in last week's mini break, so I don't need to recap all of that again. But he's the real deal, folks. And, you know, you could tell he was hurting physically, and yet he still made that match against Rublev. Five and six loss in the quarterfinals. An absolute match. Tsitsipas was disappointing. Uh, Hercats did a really good job of finding his backhand. Tsitsipas played so many drop shots. He was just having trouble hitting through the court. He just didn't have his best game. And, you know, it was still a three-cent match. He still probably could have and should have won the match. 2-6-6-3-6-4. He loses to Hercats. But him him continuing to develop plan B will be the determining point of when he wins his first Grand Slam. Not if, when. when. Once the plan B is just good enough, once he continues to find way, and, and who knows, if that match is 3 out of 5, because physically he's got the goods, and you actually kind of like him more 3 out of 5 than 2 out of 3, uh, but you know he needed to find solutions, and he really couldn't in that quarterfinal. Then RBA... Now, 3-0 and against Medvedev, loses another three-cent match to Sinner back-to-back weeks, but just physically, he's the litmus test. His on-the-run forehand, his inside-out forehand, what he does physically, tracking balls down, giving himself the opportunity for those two passing shot combinations. 32 years old, playing the best tennis of his career, one to circle, heading into the clay court season. If he can sustain his record, All right, that was a lot of time on the ATP side. I apologize. It does feel like, again, no big three next-gen results. That's what we talk about here at Cracker Rackets. By the way, one last stat for you on the ATP side. There have been 74 Masters 1000 champions. 35 of them, I believe, have won at least two titles. So essentially half. Yeah, 35 is half of 70. Um, Will Hubie Hercats be a guy with multiple titles? Let me know what you think, Uh, because, again, it seems like it's a 50-50 proposition. Certainly, 24 years old, he's got plenty of time to do it. Will he do it again is a fascinating question. But that's your ATP Miami Championship weekend. Let's flip gears now, go to the women's side, where it really was a coronation this championship weekend as— Ashley Barty knocks off Bianca Andreescu uh, in a straight set 6-3-4 love final. Andreescu needing to retire. She played so much physical tennis over the course of the week, and we'll talk about her more in a little bit. The reason I say this is a coronation, I mentioned this stat at the top. Ashley Barty now. Steffi Graf, Monica Seles, Sanchez Vicaro, Venus, Serena, her. Only players to win back-to-back titles in in Miami history. Uh, in WTA Miami history, excuse me, you just look at her results over the course of the week. She faced match points in her first match against Kutseva, and then, you know, wins over Ostapenko, Azarenka, Sabalenka, Svitolina, and Durescu. Can't say she didn't earn it, folks, and I know she hasn't played enough tennis to probably have that number one ranking in the world right now over these past 15 months, but there's no doubt she's a top five, top three player in the world and a threat, not just a threat, a contender to win every event 
regardless of surface that she enters. And, you know, it starts with the fitness. Her movement's better than anyone else in the women's game. It just is. And that movement allows her to do everything she wants to do, to set up her forehand, move that ball around the court, go, you know, inside out, inside out, uh, when she's camping on that ad wing, inside out, bait you to test her down or by going down the line with your backhand so she can hit an on-the-run cross-court forehand. And it's a credit to Lena Svitolina, by the way, in that semifinal was a 3-3 three and three win for Barty. That match was closer than the scoreline reveals. Svitolina was in so many deuce games and just could not find a way to close Ashley Barty out because there were times when her backhand down the line would be good enough to hit a winner or to set up an easy second shot winner. But Ashley Barty put so much pressure on you, and it was really hard for Svitolina to hit through those Miami courts, hit through Ashley Barty, but Ashley Barty with her serve, with her forehand, her ability to move forward— she can hit through those courts, and again, that movement is what starts everything. She beats you to the spot. She's comfortable at the net. She's a doubles Grand Slam champion. She just did a little bit of everything in this event, and I just like, I mean, it, one of the big stats in that final against Andrescu because Andrescu was all in in that first set, and, you know, Barty was able to race out to a quick lead. Andrescu got the break back for 2-3, and then, you know, Barty immediately got that break back, and the way she did it, coming into the uh, the final, she, you know, on her backhand wing, which she hits majority slice, she had hit 70% slices, 30% drives. In the first set, she hit 70% drives, 30% slices on that shot, and she wasn't giving Andrescu a additional time to set up the inside out or inside in forehands to swing through that backhand side and punish Barty for leaving a ball short. And that adjustment was the difference in the match. And then, of course, you know, for Bianca Andrescu, who her three set win over Maria Sakari was a top three. It's right up there with the Sabalinka Muguruza matches we've seen thus far this year in terms of the top quality tennis I've seen thus far on the WTA Tour in 2021. Sakari got Andrescu stretched and you know, tracked down every ball and made the match physical, took early leads and, you know, was able to dictate against Andrescu. But Andrescu just had more firepower. And on second serve, Sakari really, really struggled. And then, you know, Andrescu threw in enough variety. She moved so well in that semifinal that she was able to ultimately advance. I'll get to Andrescu in a second, but ultimately what I'm trying to say is that Sapter of, you know, and her, I believe it's her ankle or I believe it's her foot, uh, that just that was bothering her, and so to get ready for clay season to ensure not further injuring herself, she pulls out of that final. You could completely understand that she really did leave it all out there, but I mean, for Ashley Barty again, you look for her now at the start of the season. She is fourteen and two here. Her two losses loses to Collins in Adelaide uh, immediately after the Australian Open, and then lost loses that three set match. It was confounding loss to Carolina Mukova in the Australian Open quarterfinal, but she's back, folks. And again, I just, is is she a top-tier power player? No, but she's not a full tier below. She's a half a tier below on that forehand wing, and then her movement is the best of the best, and she just makes so many returns on the court. She's such a great competitor. You know, her ability to grind out that hold uh, after she broke uh, I believe it was Andrescu in the in the uh, second set, and also just the way she was immediate, immediately able to get the break back after Andrescu broke her two uh, even things at the start of the first. It was just 
she's a beast, and she just seems to take it all in stride. She makes it all look so easy as well. Uh, you know, 20 winners against 17 unforced errors, which was all she needed to do. Second title of 2021, 10th career title. First career title defense. She's the second player to win a title in 2021 after facing a match point. The other person to do it was Ashley Barty. Uh, was excuse me, Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open. So Ashley Barty, sensational in Miami all week long. So was Bianca Andreescu. It has to be said. Andreescu, you know, that three-set win, 7-6, 3-6, 7-6 over Maria Sakkari. She holds in a dramatic fashion for 5-4 in the third. Then, you know, Sakkari holds. Andreescu gets broken. Andreescu then breaks back for 6-all and just was had more power. She can just do everything. And her movement is really, really good on these hard courts. And she's comfortable moving forward. She'll throw in the occasional funky forehand slice. She'll play drop shots. She'll play angles. She'll beat you to the spot and drive down the line. If she's healthy, she can win anything she's in. Anything. On any surface. Her game style, her variety, her tools in her toolbox are that impressive. She's so outstanding as a competitor. And, you know, I did a Tennis One show last week with Peter Bodo. And listening to him, you know, he talks about it. Courtney Wynn talks about it. Uh, all of these people who have been around the game, if you talk to them, they talk about men- Rima Buleo always uses the phrase mentality. Uh, mentality is what separates these athletes because they can all hit forehands, they can all hit backhands, they can all hit serves, and it's very superficial and it's really hard to me- uh, measure, but it's the truth. Like, I, the more I follow the sport, the more you buy in. It's who wants it more. And Bianca Andreescu always wants it more than, I mean, it, it always at least as much, if not more, than every opponent she steps on the court against. Her efforts in the final were really, really, uh, you know, worth applause given uh, the physical brand of tennis she played throughout the course of the week. But she's back, folks. She is back. I feel horrible for Maria Sakkari, who you hate to say that match deserved to have two winners because it's so cliche, but she played well enough to win the match, and she's the real deal, folks. You have to be really, really good to beat her. That's why I'm so fascinated by her, by Mertens, by Contave. Vekic has fallen off a little bit over these past few months, but she belongs in that list. You have to be—they're just litmus tests. to their gateways to the top 20, top 15, top 10 because they're tough outs. They're all really young. They're all really gifted physically. They can all do a lot of things on the court. But they don't have that overwhelming weapon, that transcendent talent that an Andrescu, a Sabalenka does. But we just saw Hubi Hercats, who one may argue doesn't have a transcendent talent, run his way to a men's final. Now, you could argue Osaka, Andrescu, Barty are more established than Medvedev, Zverev, and Tsitsipas. I don't think you'd argue it. I think that's a fact. But, you know, uh, Sakari's in the mix. Svitolina... Uh, she's the same deal. She's just a, like a year or two older than them, but she's a litmus test. She's just a little bit more advanced, a little bit uh, more gifted physically, and then just puts a little, uh, you know, I, I would say they're right there with her. I think the best version of Maria Sakkari looks a lot like the best version of Alina Svitolina, but um, yeah, she just, she got overwhelmed by Barty in that semifinal. Barty's, that Barty forehand was the biggest weapon on the court. It made the difference. And, 
you know, by the way, congratulations to Alina Svitolina and Gael Monfils on their engagement. You feel bad, but that was the difference in the match, and it was a, it was a really really fun week. And again, for Andrescu now twenty five and she was twenty five and five now twenty five and six through her first thirty one. Just for comparison, through their first thirties, Serena was twenty one and nine at the premier level. Venus nineteen and eleven. Uh, Vika and Kvitova nineteen and eleven. Osaka, Ken and Halep fourteen and sixteen. Now some of that includes qualifying and it gets a little sketchy in terms of tournament qualification on tennis abstract but Andrescu's 25 and 5 is better than Serena and it pretty much laps everyone else she's special folks I don't know what else to tell you that match against Sakari to speak to how physical the tennis was 22 winners only for Andrescu against 46 unforced errors 25 winners for Sakari against 52 unforced errors I would argue the length of the point forced the air but you can't put that in the scoreboard but just a phenomenal level of tennis down the home stretch in Miami the WTA tour continues to deliver folks week in week out there are let's see Barty Osaka uh, Muguruza, you throw Andrescu on that list. Certainly, given we're on clay, you throw Halep on that list. Kvitova's always a threat. Iga Sviantek just won the French Open. Uh, do you want me to throw in Arena Sabalenka? I would like to, so I'm going to throw her in as a threat. You want to throw Vika and Kennan in as a threat? That's 10. And then I haven't even mentioned Serena freaking Williams. 11 players right now who you could say justifiably can or have already won a Grand Slam in the women's game, and I'm sure there are some I'm missing. Uh, yeah, that's that's crazy, folks. That speaks to, again, the depth, the talent we see right now in women's tennis. But that's your Miami recap. That was, again, a, a phenomenal Masters 1000 event, the conclusion of the first third of the season. Of course, now you make the transition to the clay courts, and there are so many events going on across the globe this week. I want to recap them all in a separate podcast. I will say we're going to have Jeff Sackman of Tennis Abstract on. I know I mentioned this earlier, but I ranted a lot there. So just to remind you to offer our statistical takeaways from the first third of the season, the hardcore, early hardcore portion of the year. I'm going to have Gil Gross on the Great Shot podcast to talk about our biggest storylines heading into the clay court season. And then, of course, we'll talk challenger tennis, college tennis with our usual cast of Cracked Rackets characters. If you want to hear all of those podcasts, like, rate, subscribe, review. To this show, our Great Shot podcast feed, Cracked Interviews feed. We're going to have a bunch of really fun conversations with the University of Illinois men's tennis team for all of you this week. And, of course, to find all of that content, you can go to our website, CrackedRackets.com. I say this all the time. I wouldn't ask for the like, the rating, the subscription, the review, the five stars on wherever you listen to your podcast. If it didn't help us with the computer gods, it does. It helps us with the sponsors. By the way, shout out, as always, to our friends at Midwest Sports. Go to MidwestSports.com and promo code is CR15. Uh, but as always, immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It is at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out as always to the super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. But with that in mind, for those super producers, Flickner and Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports, and all of us here at uh, Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Short-circuited there, but we'll be fresh and ready to go for part two of this podcast later in the day. With that in mind, you know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all later. Thanks, everyone. 